16 and 17, welcome. I think we do have some guests with us. We're kind of on the tail end of a series uh, entitled Equipped. Uh, this week and next week will be our last week in our series on Equipped. And we've been doing a, a study on being equipped in particular for spiritual warfare, that we are in a spiritual battle. And so we're going to continue with our series this morning. I'll just briefly review, uh, and then we'll kind of pick up with another weapon that we have in our spiritual warfare. So 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. This is our theme verse we've been using each week. It says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrines, so for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, to, to straighten us out. Uh, for correction, to correct us. And notice, for instruction in righteousness or right living, that the man of God or the servant of God, man or woman or servant of God, may be complete. So we have this maturity, a spiritual maturity about us. But notice, notice it says here, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we've been studying this series now for quite some time on being spiritually equipped in particular, as I mentioned, for spiritual warfare. Um, as we've been studying, we've realized this, is that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual war. It's good versus evil, light versus darkness, lies versus truth. And boy, I tell you, our society is just filled with lies. Man, the enemy is just, our, our young people are just being thrown lie after lie after lie. And so we must be able to, to have the truth, the truth of the word of God, and realize that, that the truth is what will combat Satan's lies. It is, is obviously God versus the, the enemy, Satan. We live behind enemy lines. Um, Satan is the prince and he is the power of the air. The scripture says it like this, that he's called the God of this world. This world, let's just be honest, planet Earth. My dad used to say this all the time. Planet Earth, it's a great place to visit. You just wouldn't want to have to stay here forever. Amen? There's a lot of truth to that. Aren't you thankful that this is not our home? That we're just here temporarily? This is not our home. But yet many Christians, we get too comfortable in the world. The Bible tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are of this world. And if any man has a love for the world, he says this, that you're, you're literally being influenced by the enemy. Because this is the enemy's territory. You and I live behind enemy lines. The scripture says this, Paul, Paul and Peter and, warned us. Paul says that we're in a spiritual conflict. And that the spiritual conflict we're in is not of, uh, of flesh and blood. But he says it's taken place in the spiritual realm. There are many things that our eyes cannot see, uh, but yet we understand behind the scenes the enemy is at work. John 10, 10, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is not a playground. It is a battleground. Your enemy, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He said this, you must know yourself. You must know that you are no match for the enemy. You must know your adversary, that Satan is a very powerful foe, that Satan is wreaking havoc 
And Satan is as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But you also must know your advantages, that the Lord has given us advantages that we can overcome the evil one. And we looked at the armor of God, and we spent quite a bit of time there. And then we looked at the other advantages we have is our arsenal, that a soldier must have weapons. And just like a soldier goes out to battle, and obviously he puts on his body armor, he also has weapons, offensive weapons, to use against the enemy. We saw that we have the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We saw that prayer is a very, very powerful weapon. And I hope that these messages are helping you and equipping you because Satan wants to come in and wreak havoc in your life. He seeks to kill, he seeks to steal, and he seeks to destroy. He has defeated many greater than you and I. We look at men and our men's Bible study. We studied Samson, a man with such tremendous strength and tremendous potential. Yet we saw that Satan found a way to get into the life of Samson. We're going to look here an example in just a moment, but a man by the name of Job. We're going to see that, that Satan is ruthless, and that he will not pull out any stops. He will do whatever it takes to try to wreak havoc in our lives. So we have the word of God. We have prayer. We also studied last week, and it amazes me that, that it was so well received, but we spoke about the powerful weapon of not only prayer, but also of fasting, and how fasting is a spiritual weapon that we have. And I wasn't sure how well it would be received, but I was amazed at the response of the church body, the response of so many of you. And I want to thank you, because it seems as though God is definitely using this series to help equip us for the spiritual battles that we are going to be facing and that we're in. As I said last week, these messages that we're speaking may not just necessarily be for now and today, but this teaching is stuff that will help you in the days and weeks and months to come. This morning, I want you to see another powerful weapon that is most often neglected and oftentimes never even noticed in Scripture. We're going to go to Job chapter 1. And we're going to see that there was a man by the name of Job that Satan, man, he literally unleashed every, every opportunity to try to come into the life of Job and to just wreak havoc in Job's life. How many of you are somewhat familiar with Job? By the way, it's, we call him Job, not Job, okay? Some people need to get one, right? You know, Some of you parents are like, my kid needs to get one. <laughs> so we're not talking about a job, we're talking about Job. Man, Job, what a guy. Job was an awesome man. But we're going to see that, man, the devil did not like Job's testimony. He did not like the example that Job had. And so we're going to start in Job 1. Just kind of follow along. I want you to get the context. Some of you are familiar with him. But there's some really powerful things here. Listen to what it says. We're going to see how Satan works. We don't have time to look at all of this, but if you read, I encourage you this week, Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2, especially in those two chapters, you're going to see how the devil works. For example, Job's going to lose all of his finances. Sometimes the devil will rob you and steal your finances. He may, in some way or another, take the people that you love, if you will. He may use grief. He may use sorrow. We won't see it today, but if you read in chapter 2 later, he takes Job's health. 
Some of you may be struggling with health. Maybe some of you are struggling with grief and sorrow. Maybe some of you are struggling with financial struggles. We'll see even his, if you read 2 and 3 of Job, you'll find that his own wife kind of turns against him. She's broken, and, and I don't judge this poor woman, all that she went through. But we see that sometimes Job uses people, uh, the devil will use people around us. His friends came and began to antagonize him and interrogate him. And at his weakest moment, when he needed their encouragement, they tore him down and they began to judge him. And sometimes the enemy will even use the people closest to us to get to us. So, man, the devil, he, he, listen to me, he uses psychological warfare. He does everything in his power to try to get to you. Notice this man by the name of Job. Let's see a little bit about him. There was a man in the land of Uz. I always want to say Oz for some reason. <laughs> Sorry. But there was a land, man in the land of Uz, okay, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless. Doesn't mean he's perfect, but he, he was upright, the Bible says. And one who feared God and he shunned evil. He ran from evil. Notice he's blessed. And the seven sons and the three daughters were born to him. So he has ten children. And also his possessions. This guy's very wealthy. There were 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. He, he had a mansion. And so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. He's the wealthiest, most renowned, uh, most well-known man of all of the East, the Bible says. And his sons would go uh, and feast in their houses. Each of them had homes and things. And they feast in their houses. They're blessed people. And, and, and on his appointed day, and he would, would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was... When the days of feastings had run their course, that, that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all, all ten of his children. He was intentional. This man loved God. This man loved his family. This man, uh, you know, was intentional and, and was offering up sacrifices even for his children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. And thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God, listen to this, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, but notice who also comes along. And Satan also came, came among them. He also came along with them, the Bible says. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Listen to these words carefully. Where have you been? Where have you come from, Satan? Notice what he says. He answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Whose domain is this down here? We're living in enemy territory, Satan. And, and understand the context is this. This is what I believe. I wasn't there. Okay? Some of you are old enough to, you could have been there. <laughs> That's a joke. I wasn't there. But here's the thing. The idea is just that Satan is bragging. He's bragging and he's boasting and he's saying, look what, I'm wreaking havoc on planet earth. Look what I'm doing. I'm going to and fro on earth and I'm the God of that place. I'm the God of this, of this world, so to speak. I'm the prince and power of the air. It's a boastful, it's a bragging. And the reason why I say that is because we're going to see that the Lord then says, oh, really? If you think you're big stuff, 
then what about Job? And so notice what happens. Then the Lord said to Satan, oh, really? This is kind of my thought here. Oh, really? Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns and runs from evil. Have you considered him? Now notice this. Let me ask you something. Listen to these words. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Let me ask you, did the devil know who Job was? Did the Lord even have to bring him up? He knew exactly who Job was. And then he says, you know what, though? The reason why is because you've blessed him so much. He says, have you not made a hedge around him and his household, his family, and around all that he has and, and, and on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. The enemy knew exactly who Job was. By the way, can I say this? The enemy knows who you are, too. He knew exactly who Job was. He knew everything about Job and his circumstances. He knew his testimony. He knew that he was a man who loved God and feared God. Here's something else he also knew, is that God put a hedge about him and his family. And Job couldn't touch, the enemy couldn't touch Job. Can I just say this? That there have probably been many, many attempts, and Satan has probably tried to do a lot of things in your life, but God has protected you from it. And many of the times we don't even know it, don't acknowledge it, don't see it, don't even know about it. How many times you've been on a, a road trip? How many times your kids have gone off to camp and gone off places and we don't even realize it, we don't even recognize it. But can I tell you something? In the spiritual realm, there are things happening and you may not even understand this, but how many times I wonder, did the enemy want to attack Job prior to this? But the Lord had a hedge about him. And I want to make this personal. I wonder how many times in your life where the enemy really wanted to wreak havoc in your life, but for some reason and for some, some way, God had put a hedge about you. I can tell you this. There have been numerous times, many a times, where the enemy could have had my kids. But God in his mercy spared their lives, especially my youngest one. Where God literally sent a, a human angel to literally rescue him. Nonverbal, autistic child, literally gone for almost an hour. 100 degrees, dehydrated, thorns in his barefoot. And literally God sent a human angel to get him before he crossed major lanes of highway. I'm going to tell you something. I know that there's a God and that he puts a hedge. And I know he answers prayer. I know that. But how would I have responded if that day my son would have been bitten by a rattlesnake and died? How would have I responded if he would have been hit on that four-lane highway? I'll be honest. Selfishly, I thank God I don't have to try to answer that question this morning. But Job did have a hedge about his family. And the enemy knew exactly who Job was. And this is what the devil says. He says he only 
He's only worshiping you, God, for the good stuff. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has, notice this, all that he has is in your power only. Here's the parameters, only. Do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let me pause for a moment. Later, we know that he then gets permission to touch Job, to afflict Job, and Job ends up sick, and Satan robs him of his health. We know the end of the story. Job still does not curse God. Amen? I like what Hasselmeyers were visiting last week, and they said that one of the pictures that they were given over the years of, of Satan is like this ferocious, vicious dog, like this ferocious dog, but he's on a really tight leash, you know, with like a choke chain, you know. Can I just give you that encouragement that Satan is all, can only do to you what God will allow him to do, and we have a loving Heavenly Father who will not put us through more than through the power of God and through the Holy Spirit that what we can handle. You guys got that? He will put you more. He will put you, he will allow you to go through more than what you can handle, but not what you can handle with the power of the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? In his strength. So notice what he does. So now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. We're going to have four messengers come to Job back to back to back. Can you imagine this day of Job's life? And the messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And when the Sabians raided them, they took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I am alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, here comes another one. Another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I have alone escaped to tell you. Pause just for a second. Was it the fire of God that destroyed? Uh-uh. Who was behind it? But what did the messenger say? It's the fire of God. Do you understand that the devil was even using these statements to try to turn Job's heart away from God. It was not the fire of God. God. It was not God who sent the fire from heaven to devour his substance and to kill his servants. It was the enemy. But can I tell you something? Isn't the enemy good at trying to blame God for what the enemy does? That's the same question, the same thing that people say all the time. If there's such a loving God, why would a loving God do this to planet Earth or do this? No, it's the enemy. Are you with me, church? It's the enemy. It was Satan who brought this destruction. God lifted his heads for a brief moment in time and he allowed certain things, but it was Satan who was behind it. And so while he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and they raided the camels and took them away. And yes, they killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I have alone escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, here's the, the toughest news he gets. He lost, basically he lost everything. He lost all of his wealth. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness. 
This is a tornado, I believe. Instruct the four corners, the idea of the four corners. It literally was a tornado that hit this house. And it fell on the young people, and they all are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose. Notice what he does. Here's, we're going to see the valuable weapon. You guys ready for this? Job, he arose. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. The shaving the head is not the weapon, by the way. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I knew you were going there. That's it. Shave your head. That's it. All right. It wasn't the shaving of the head, okay? Wait for it. Wait for it. And he fell to the ground, and what does he do? He worships. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Here's this word, blessed. The word blessed also is translated praise be the name of the Lord. Blessed or praise be the name of the Lord. You ready for the, this last spiritual weapon? It's a powerful weapon. It's the weapon that Job used in his darkest moments, in his darkest hours, at the most difficult. Yes, scripture is important. Yes, prayer is important. Yes, it is. And yes, it's a powerful weapon. Yes, fasting is a powerful weapon. But here's one that most Christians don't even realize is a powerful weapon that we have. And it is this. It is praise. It is worship. When we praise and worship God, Job in his darkest hours, in these moments, when Satan literally unleashed his fury upon Job, and when Job is being attacked, and when Job is literally broken and crushed as he curls up into a ball, there's nothing else that he can do. But you know what he does do? Is he worships God. And he praises God. And we don't have time to go through the whole book of Job. But we know that then his health is robbed. And his friends come and they attack him. And his own wife says, just curse God and die. And as Job is sitting there, we see throughout Scripture later, I believe it says in Job 19, somewhere in there, he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and that someday there's going to be a day that I will see him face to face. All through the book we see Job. Although he's questioning what he's going through, he never stops praising and giving glory to God. He worships God. It's a powerful weapon. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I've just given you a few examples in Scripture this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Here's another passage of Scripture. The nation of Judah. Israel was split into two kingdoms. The nation of Judah. The capital was Jerusalem. The king was King Jehoshaphat. What a cool name, all right? King Jehoshaphat. We don't have time to read the entire chapter, but let me tell you this. King Jehoshaphat, the nation of Judah, and Jerusalem is going to be attacked by three nations. Three nations rise up, and they have a massive army that has been risen against Judah, and Judah knows that there is nothing that they can do. They are outnumbered. And so I want you to notice what happens. It says earlier in the chapter that, that King Jehoshaphat, he, he calls for the people, the men, the women, the children. It says this, they begin to pray. He calls the nation of Judah and he says, we need to fast. So they fast. So they pray and they fast. And then notice what happens. As they're praying and fasting, notice what happens. It says, now all Judah with their little ones and their wives and their children, they stood before the Lord. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah. And by the way, if you don't know how to pronounce what I've learned is you just say it confidently and everybody thinks you know how to say it. But you really don't. You speak with confidence. A Levite of the sons of Asaph. By the way, that's a whole other thing. But the sons of Asaph were, were basically singers. They would sing the Psalms, many of the Psalms to the sons of Asaph. They were a type of choir. They would sing. Notice this in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Here's what the Lord says. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. By the way, the spiritual battle is not yours, it's God's. Amen. He says, tomorrow, go down against them, and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeril. You will not need to fight this battle. I love this. There are some battles you don't need to fight. Amen. Let me say that again. There are some battles you don't need to fight. And all that God's people said? Sometimes the battles you cannot fight. Only God can fight them for you. He says, position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Sometimes all you need to do is just stand, amen, and let God fight your battles. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head, the king bowed his head with his face to the ground. Do you see this humility? And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they bowed before the Lord. Notice, what did they do? Worshiping the Lord. Oh, I love this. And then the Levites of the children of the, the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up. Notice what did they do? They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. They sang out. They sang and they praised the Lord high. So they rose early in the morning. And they went down into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord you God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should, notice this, sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, before the army, they put this choir. He appointed a worship team to go before the army, saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the people of of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. And for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly dis- to kill and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all began to turn on one another. They helped destroy one another. And so when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. 
And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves. More than they could carry away. And there were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For they, there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place they called the Valley of Baraka until this day it means the Valley of Praise or the Valley of, of, of blessed, being blessed. They turned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments, notice this, and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. They came back rejoicing. It is amazing what the power of praise can do. They praised, they honored, they glorified God. They sent the worship team out in front of the army. Now, there's been some worship teams I can understand, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> they, they would want to go kill themselves. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The point was this, that they praised God in the midst of their battle, in the midst of their conflict. They gave praise and glory. What an example this is. What a cool story in the Bible to see that, that God blessed their praise and their worship and that God fought their battle for them. Let me give you one more New Testament example. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Verses 22 through 28 in the Acts, it says this. This is New Testament. It says, Then the multitude rose up together against them. This was Paul and some of his disciples, Paul and, and Silas. It says this, They rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. We don't have time to go into the whole context, but Paul had delivered someone from an, a young woman from an evil spirit, and she was using it. Uh, for foretell and and when they cast out the demon the people who got rich off of her got angry and created a mob and, and so they turned on Paul and Silas at Philippi it says and when they had laid many stripes on them they beat them they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely and having received such a charge he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in the stocks but at midnight, Paul and Silas, notice what they do. They were praying and complaining to God. Do you see them complaining? I don't know about you guys, but there might, me personally, I might have been complaining a little. Here I am living for you. Cast out a, a demon out of a person, and now we're getting the crud beat out of us. Paul and Silas were praying, powerful weapon. Are you with me, church? Praying, but what else do they do? They sing hymns. That's praise. That's worship. They begin to sing hymns and they begin to praise, bring praise to God, it says. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. The keeper of the prison awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. 
But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourselves no harm, for we are all here. And if many of you know the story, this is the beginning of the, the church of Philippi because this man, this man who beat them and was in charge of, of holding them in prison comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Him and his entire household, his entire, entire family accept Christ. They're baptized. And the Bible says that he washes Paul's stripes. There's a great transformation. But can I just share with you is this, is that when Paul and Silas, when they were in that prison cell, they gave praise and honor and glory to God. And it was God that delivered them. Praise and worship is a powerful spiritual weapon that you and I have. One last passage and we're finished. Psalm 22, verse 3. You say, why does praise, why is it so effective? It says this in Psalms, but you are holy Listen to what it says. You are holy. Speaking of the Lord God Almighty, he says, enthroned, enthroned in the praises of his people. The old King James, the good old King James Bible says this. You inhabit the praises of Israel. Here's the thing. God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits. Are you getting this? He inhabits the praise of his people. The idea is this, he indwells the praises of his people. So put this in perspective. When we look at each of these examples, Job, Job invited God into the presence of his circumstances. All that Job was going through, what does he do? He shaves his head, he falls on the ground, and he worships God, and he praises God. He invited God into the presence of his circumstances. When we look at the, the, the nation of Judah, what do they do when they're in this battle that cannot be won? It's a battle that they have no power, no ability to win. They invite God into the presence of their battle. Maybe some of you this morning need to invite God into the very presence of whatever battle that you're, in, you're facing. Whatever it is that you're, you're, you're struggling with. Maybe it's a stronghold, an addiction. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a child that has gone astray and you're praying praying over them. Maybe you can just also fast over them, but also include this powerful weapon of praise and honor and glory and worship. And we see that Job, that in his circumstances, invited God into his circumstances when he brought praise and worship to God. The nation of Judah, when they were in this fierce battle, they invited God into the presence of their battle. The psalmist says here that God inhabits, that he, he dwells in the praises of his people. And we see that as Paul and Silas are in this prison, and as though it seems as though this is it, this is the end, what do they do? They pray, yes, but they also praise and bring honor and glory to God. It became a time of worship. Not only was it for them, but it was for those people around them. It's interesting, the Bible says, and the prisoners heard it. By the way, how you and I respond to our trials, people are watching us. The things that we say and how we respond to the trials that we're going through, they can either be, bring light into this dark world or they can bring more darkness into an already dark world. 
We were reading in James today, and Anthony was teaching in the Bible study hour, and he mentioned James brings up Job and the patience of Job. And Job still, although he has been dead and gone many years, he's with the Lord, Job's testimony still speaks, doesn't it? His example still speaks. Paul and Silas, they praised God. God delivered them. There are some battles that you and I are not meant to fight. And that's when we go to praise. Amen? And honor and glory. And we just worship God for who he is. And by the way, he is worthy. And we praise and worship him. And Job said, naked, I came into this world and naked I'm going to leave. But you know what? The idea is this. You know what I believe? Can I put it in today's terms? Come hell or high water, no matter what happens, I am still going to praise God. And that's exactly what Job did. And if you know the rest of the story, God says he lifted the captivity of Job. God ends up lifting that captive Job and he blesses Job. And he gives him more than what he ever had before. God blessed him. But you and I are encouraged because of his testimony and the example he set. I just want to say to you, church, this morning, maybe some of you are in a spiritual battle. And you've done all that you can do to stand. Like the Bible says, stand firm and do all that you can do to stand. Sometimes you just have to, to just stand and give praise and honor and glory and worship him. And I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. I remember one day when I was in Bible college, oh, I was working like, worked on campus. I worked off campus. I was taking like, I, I wasn't the smartest guy out there. I was taking like 21 or 22 credits in one, one semester because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to graduate early. I'm like, I'm, I was a married student and I'm like, ah. Oh. And I literally, I'm going to tell you, and financially we were struggling. It was just, and I felt like it's just, it's, uh, it was all I could do to get in my car. My car barely started. <laughs> and like the week, that weekend before I was doing inner city ministry. And so when I was doing inner city ministry, someone had broke into my car and broke out the back window. So I had like a trash bag on the back window, you know, and I'm like, here, I'm trying to do your work, Lord. I'm just trying to do your work. And somebody, I have nothing to steal. I'm poorer than the guys who are trying to steal from me. And I was so discouraged, and I got in my car, and I was like, I didn't even want to go to class. I'm like, what is it? And I was, I'll be honest, I was about done. I was literally like, it was just, my dad instilled a lot of character, but I did not want to even go. I didn't want to go to class that morning, and I had like a 7 a.m. class. They had these early morning classes. And that's enough to put you into a bad mood, a 7 a.m. college class. So I was on my way to 7 a.m. class. And I was not in the mood, and it was rough. And I can't remember what song or what it was, but I, uh, back then, you guys won't know what this is, but we had cassette tapes. <laughs> you ever hear of a cassette tape? They were really cool things. And by the way, when they would break, you'd like cut it, and then you'd like tape it together, and, and you'd have like your music, and also, and then it would start playing. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. I have that cassette tape. This is years ago, all right? I had that cassette tape playing. 
And it was worship music. And it was just fired up worship music. I'll be honest, I got in the car, wasn't even going to show up. I was this close to just be like, just, I don't know, go get breakfast. I didn't, was like, well, you don't have Joe, you don't have money to go get breakfast. So just go to class. I was just, I was done. I was broke. I'm not, this is the Lord knows my heart. This is the gospel truth. I was done. Someone had given me like this cassette and like, you should listen to it. It's really good. It's got some really powerful, awesome worship music. I don't remember who it was, what it was. All I know is I turned it on, turned it up, and then I turned it a little louder, turned it a little louder, and had louder. I, was, I had about a 15-minute drive from where I lived to, to college and I, to the campus. I turned it up a little louder, turned it a little louder, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, and I was just like, like I, was, I just got fired up. I got so fired up. I pulled my car over, and I literally got out of my car, and I started screaming, basically yelling at the devil, get out of here, devil, you can't have it, you're not going to win. I was just going crazy, and I was like, God is good. Oh, I was like, oh. I did. It was like I was getting ready to go out for a fight. And I was like, you, you, not today, Satan, not today. You're not going to. And I was so pumped, so fired up. And I'll never forget this. I'm not making this up. There was like a factory. There was like this factory down there. And there was all these people showing up for work. And they were getting out of their cars. And as I'm screaming and yelling and praising God, I look over and there's about 15, 20 dudes standing there, you know, looking up, and they're like, and you could hear them. I don't know what he has, but I want some of that. It was a Monday morning, you know. I don't know what he has, but I want some of that. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is humiliating. And I want to be like, it's Jesus. That's what I have, you know. I got back in that car, and I'm going to tell you, it wasn't prayer. It wasn't scripture. It was just praise, good old praise for who God is. And now you guys got to put up with me all these years later. Because I will be honest, I thought I was done that day. I thought I was done. But there's power in praise. And all God's people said this morning, amen. Amen. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Lord, as we sing this last worship song, may we sing out, sing loud and high. Lord, may we realize that when we're in the thick of it, Oh, when we're, when come hell or high water, may we be like Job. May we give you praise. May you, we give you honor. May we give you glory. There is power in praise. Oh, Lord, I pray for those that might be going through some serious battles right now. and They feel as though the enemy has won. Not today, Satan. Not today. Oh, God, I pray that we would realize that praise, adoration, and worship of the awesome God that you are is a powerful weapon. And that you will use it, Lord. And that you, you will fight our battles. And that we will be victorious through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.